Growth stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. John Chan, maybe football senior 06. Uh, first class to hit the 8-0 record versus Air Force and Army. So, uh, you know, putting that legacy out there for, for us young bucks to follow. Class of 07, D lineman, uh, a key player on the team, native of California. Um, from a powerhouse high school of De La Salle High School in Pleasant Hill, California. Uh, that came up like throughout the memories that that came up on like every single memory um, that, that you guys, uh, you and uh, Cole Smith came from that place. Uh, graduated as a SWO, went to San Diego, went some to some business school and hit up a startup called UpGuard, right? Yeah, that's Did right. Some ad sales for Google, now a program manager with Google Startups. So you're now settled in New York City uh, with your current job. Uh, yes, and you spend sir. time on, it, it seems like, in, and I caught this theme through the memories, the, the mentorship uh, being done in so many different ways while in your current job. Um, but also trying to keep your body together. I think there's a theme there across the board with a lot of guys that I talk to. It's like, all right, I got to take care of myself. I got to like take care of all these injuries that I had and, and keep my you know, my body moving. Um, you like live music. That's cool. Cause I do as well. Uh, it's one of New York city's best kept secrets. It sounds maybe some small venues with some good live music, right? Yeah. Uh, there's just a ton of do to ton to do in New York. And, you know, when I was living in San Diego and even San Francisco, uh, different artists would come through and we're always playing the biggest venues. Um, here you have MSG, you have Barclays, you have all sorts of stuff. So uh, a lot of acts that come through play a lot smaller venues. So a little more fun to go see them in a more intimate setting. Nice. Um, and then surfing. How does surfing work in New York City? So you can take the take the subway uh, or take the train out to Rockaway Beach. It's only about an hour trip. Um, I. Thankfully, haven't had to take the subway or train. I have a couple of friends with cars. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, learned to surf in San Diego in the Navy, surfed a little bit up in the Bay Area, um, and still try to take take a couple trips. Um, last trip was a while ago in 2019 to Costa Rica. Um, but yeah, yeah, Ooh. still try to surf where I can. Awesome. All right. Uh, there's some intro because there's a lot of details in, inside that intro and we'll get to it once you tell the story. But the reason why I do these intros is I don't really have the time or capacity to do like a really good intro, but I like to give like the highlights. So when people log onto these and they actually listen to it, they're like, okay, here's a little bit of the background. And then we move on to the memory section. And in memories, 
yesterday I had like two memories and then today I've got like a million of them. So, uh, Bobby Doyle, and here's a theme across the board, almost from everybody was, uh, the fumble recovery, uh, touchdown that you had and you Mar Lynch or Marshawn lynched dove into the end zone and PJ chewed your tail after that for, for that, uh, you know, fumble recovery touchdown. Was it, is it against Temple? It was against Temple and, uh, that was oh one because it was my my junior year and um, I think the game was pretty nice. much sealed by then. But uh, I still get folks telling me that they've never seen flags from every single official uh, on the field. And um, <laughs> that dive, I you know definitely love love Marshawn, especially in the Bay. But uh, Maurice Jones Drew did it first against uh, Long Beach Poly um, on our first touchdown when we were we were number one, they were number two, and that was. It was our junior year, one of the biggest, big, biggest high school football games at the time. Uh, of For course, sure. nobody Definitely would say the, that from the Texas, powerhouse. The, yeah, the powerhouse football program comes up in all these guys, you know, memories, uh, you know, for that fact, Jeff Lenar. And I, I like to pull, you know, memories from people that have already been on the podcast and then I go outside. Uh, but Jeff Lenar, high school was a powerhouse program. Got it. Check. Um, Irv Spencer, he said you were a baller overall, um, played well above your size, like David Mahoney, you know, in his words, uh, being smart and playing with leverage. He also said that y'all had a great conversation way back in the day that stuck with him for years. Remember what that conversation may have been? I mean, I, I have no context to it other than that. Uh, I, I definitely remember a lot of a great conversations with Irv. Um, I, I'm not sure if I remember the specific one, um, but, you know, I, I certainly think that the class of 07 laid down, um, or, you know, continued a lot of the traditions that, that the guys ahead of us did. And I certainly think um, Irv and I connected on making sure that, that uh, you know, he was one of the guys to carry that on um, in that uh, in the 04. Excuse me, 08 class. Gotcha. Good stuff. All right, David Wright. So you guys played D-line together, right? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, David he was in nose guard. I was a uh, right tackle. And then uh, Ty, Ty, um, Ty Willikins. Uh, uh, Ty, Ty Adams, Adams. Was on the on the other sides, right. And then Larry, Larry played quite a bit of nose. Larry Silk played quite a bit of nose as well. For sure. Dave also brought up that fumble recovery um, and, and that whole thing. Uh, but being from, you know, the high school, uh, De La Salle, uh, the best and, and at the time, and I don't know, you know, where it went from there, but the best high school program in the country probably at that time um, that you just, the way you played the game, um, hardest worker in the room, dedicated, uh, not just to the sport, but to your, you know, D linemen, your peers at the time, which is, you know, th there's a lot to say there in, in doing something like that. Um, he's the teammate, teammate that you want um, on the team to be around with some California swag to it. So those were his comments. I did, buy, uh, did my best. 
<laughs> uh, Rob Caldwell. He also brought up the Temple touchdown, uh, the the front flip attempt. So tried to get it all the way around. Uh, the y'all y'all shared a sack and celebrated that with, uh, you know. And then when you got to the sideline, PJ threatened to shoot you both. Maybe. Yeah, that definitely that definitely happened. Uh, definitely I, I forget happened. who was it, who was against, and we planned planned beforehand. It was um, uh, back when there was a Cameron song or Diplomats where everybody was throwing up the ball in, and oh yeah, we we yeah combined on a sack, looked and pointed at each other, and then threw it up. And as we're running off the field, PJ grabs both of our face masks and says, if you ever do that again, I will fucking shoot you. And it was not, did not feel like hyperbole at all. <laughs> yeah. He had a way of doing that. <clears throat> uh, that you were on the, on the top sack list. Uh, not just a, 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 a baller, but a really good friend. Um. Last memory, Cole Smith, and there's a few here. Um, your your best best man, and he you were the, his best man in his wedding uh, from high school. You guys were co-captains together. Um, on you know going to the Navy on your first ship together as surface warfare officers. Y'all were roommates at the time. Uh, that your loyalty and honesty, uh, your moral principles were you know true north type of principles. Um, you moved back to San Fran after, you know, got out of the Navy, went to business school, came back to the, to the West coast and San Fran, y'all were two blocks away. Um, that, you know, that, that relationship was pretty awesome. So that's a good story. Um, y'all had a good road trip to the Ohio state area for a lacrosse game and a Winnebago. Oh yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. What do you remember we were, from that? We were still we were still plebes and Wayne Irons uh was at, you know, he was a prior enlisted, was old as shit. So he was twenty five and could run an R V um when we were plebes and I think he was yeah, he was a junior. Um and they're like, Hey, you guys wanna go to Ohio State? So I think we hopped in the van or hop, hopped in a Winnebago it was the Polancos, Josh Smith, uh, maybe Tyson. I think we stopped and stopped at Sam Brown's uh, place in Ohio State. Those, those, all those guys were 05. and we drank <laughs> drank the whole way on in the RV. Had breakfast, slept for an hour, and then went straight to a, a an Ohio State like preseason game and sat who's, right. Who's driving? Uh, and, it must have been Wayne. He was probably the, the most responsible at that point. Um, but Nick Nick Marabito, who is an 08 lacrosse player, uh, you know, so he was a, a freshman on the team, I think. So it must have been our sophomore year, maybe. But he was on the team, and he, he just remembers Coach Mead leaning over him and going, you can smell him before you hear him, because we were uh, three sheets at that point, you know, drinking all night, Ready showed up go. for just an Ohio State game lacrosse game <laughs> nice uh, he also love, brought up your support, supporting those guys because they were always up in the pit them and the wrestlers always in the pit pit yeah causing havoc the wrestlers and, and the uh, lacrosse guys would... were always yep 
Yeah. Whenever I, I had a, a sack or a tackle or a big play and I was pointing up to the brigade, I was pointing to the pit. Yep. Awesome. Uh, Cole also brought up the scoop and score, the Superman into the end zone, and how PJ got on to you. And I've, they all said something about PJ getting into your face and, and saying something after that event. Do you remember what he said after that? Maybe. I don't remember what he, I don't remember what he said. Luckily the, the game was, was documented at the time. It was on college sports network before it was CBS TV. And there's an old YouTube clip of it um, uh, that, that I was able to post, got it from Matt, Matt Pritchett, but it looks like it's from the seventies with the the quality, but uh, I was running, dove in the end zone. Uh, tried to do a little front flip. Uh, if people remember it that way, I like to like to keep it that way. Um, and then it was I was running off the field. I was like, "Oh man, I am going to catch it!" And you can see PJ grab me by the face mask and get into me. And I don't remember what he said exactly. I, I probably tuned it out at the time. And then Buddy Green, uh, Coach Coach Green, the D, D coordinator, got into my face again grabbed me by the mask and was yelling no idea what he said but he slapped me on the ass as i was walking away so i think yeah. he was pretty happy <laughs> true that, that's how those things work it's like nice play uh yeah. don't do that again but great job right uh last one out of cole smith before we get into your story is um you're really good at keeping in touch with people um and he's you know, I don't think it's just him. He just said it was, thank you for doing this. Um, you were somewhat of the glue of your group from that perspective, uh, that you wear your heart on your sleeve and you really do walk the walk. So that was cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was, everything was easier because Cole and I were best friends in high school and captains of the football team and had been through a lot at De La Salle. Um, and uh, there's a lot of good things to come out of that and to be able to, to have him there with me playing football and then being commissioned on the same ship uh, and going to the same ship for two years and being roommates out in town in San Diego. And then, um, yeah, the best man in his wedding and then, you know, lived down the street a few le- years later and I'm, I'm uh, godfather to his first, first daughter, Addie. So yeah, very close with him and his family and his wife and close with Dave and Rob as well. Um, great, great crew. And I have been single most of my life. So I think it's a lot easier when, when all I have is me and my dog, Charlie, to stay in touch with people. Uh, so that's probably a, a little bit where that comes from. Nice. Good stuff. All right. Here's where I turn it over to you and say, tell you, tell me your story. Um, you know, no limits. I think there's a, a cool theme going so far uh, with people and relationships. And I really want to get into your transition because I think that transition story is uh, pretty, uh, it's unique to you, but I think there's a universal transition uh, message that I think you want to share. So, yeah, cool. definitely. What's your story? Um, grew up in the Bay Area, uh, went, went to Dale Cell High School, um, you know, especially early early aughts late 90s early aughts 
before YouTube, before any of the big um, recruiting firms and everything like that. I think how we ended up on Nehemiah's radar is the fact that we played it, played it at a school and uh, that just had a lot of publicity around it. I think just in my, you know, my class um, or the guys that I played with at De La Salle, um, Maurice Jones drew, uh, went to UCLA, played at the Jag, played with the Jags for a while, played with the Raiders. Um, was a gr- rushing rushing leader at least one of those years. Um, he was he was in our class. Guy named Matt Gutierrez, played at Michigan. Was Eccles Eccles uh, teammate at um, in New England uh, one year. Derek Landry, he uh, he he terrorized us before we beat Notre Dame. You know, my class never beat Notre <laughs> Dame. He terrorized us as a D lineman, and then played for the Panthers, uh, and then the Eagles, I believe. Um, then a couple other guys, uh, Terrell Ward, T.J. Ward, won a Super Bowl with the the uh, Broncos. He was a year below us. Um, Demetrius Williams, uh, D.J. Williams, he he won a national championship with with Miami and played for the Broncos for a long time. So, you know, there was a lot of history at, at De La Salle and, and we were part of the streak, 151 wins over 13 years. Um, we're lucky enough to travel to S- Southern California and play some of the biggest teams, played Matt Leinart uh, when he was at Modern Day. We traveled to Hawaii our senior year and played their big team, St. Louis, out there. Um, so, you know, at the time, I really thought that I would never find anything sort of like that that type of stuff that you go through um in in sort of a successful program and what what it takes to to get there and uh you know Dale Cell you know uh it was a big big thing of of we heard it first obviously it came from the mer- uh the military and and from Black Hawk Down I think is the first time I heard it but you do it for the guy next to you and and um I think we got a decent amount of that at Dale Cell, being able to stand up and be vulnerable, and and talk to talk to folks in you know other other teenagers and say, hey man, I love you, and I'm going to work as hard as I can to not let you down. Um, and that is a theme that I don't, I don't know what I expected going and playing Navy football, but it's certain certainly uh, the exact sentiment that I take away of, of playing uh, playing at Navy as well. So. You know, with that whole theme of your, you know, high school being a powerhouse where you came from, all these successful, you know, ballers that came out of there. Is there anything that like stands out in your mind, like from from the high school thing that. Man. We've got this going right in this program. And where did that come from? in order to enable all these folks to be successful and be the powerhouse. Uh, the groundwork was laid a long time before we showed up, you know, 15, 15 years before we showed up. And, uh, um, you know, that culture existed and was there when we showed up where our coaches didn't emphasize uh, like winning football games um, because they were able to focus on, like, I don't like, I'm not sure if they believe it, but they said they didn't give a shit if we won, right? Like, I care about how well you play, how good your effort is, and, um, you know, the results of the work that you put in will manifest itself on the field. Um, Boom. So Huge, right? Like, 
I don't care about winning football games. It's about blocking and tackling the basics, right? That's awesome. And and, and our head coach Bob Latticer, he did not yell. I mean, he would raise his voice, but the the worst that you could get from him was, you know, that's not good enough, and just glare at you. And, and to this, <laughs> exactly to this day, that, that is the sign for me of. Uh, you know, I tell every manager that I have that if we if we do this relationship right, like all you have to ever tell me is that that's not good enough, and that that hurts more than anything else. And I will take a hard look at myself and the work that I've done, um, and 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 try to take an honest look and say, hey, what I put out there wasn't good enough, and I need to do better. Um, and I think that that's obviously something that I still carry with carry through work today um, and, and everything that I do. Um, I want to make sure that people know that they can rely on me. Yep. Good. Awesome. All right. So I kind of interrupt your, interrupted your story, but um, I wanted to ask that question around what made your high school, you know, the powerhouse that it was and, that was uh, refreshing to hear. Uh, another reason why I did this. So, um, all right. After high school, where do we go from there? Uh, let's see. Ed Cole and I went straight straight into the Naval Academy. Um, I, you know, you go in there thinking that you want to be a pilot, and I, uh, you know, Top Gun was my favorite movie as a kid. I broke our our Betamax VCR watching it so much uh, it's before, or, you know, um, the, the almost offshoot of, of VHS. And then on, I think like day two, I was like, how, what is the fastest way out of the Navy without quitting? Um, so <laughs> I, I, I think I knew pretty quickly in plebe summer that I was not going to be a pilot and do those extra, uh, extra five years. So, um, lost a ton of weight, you know, came in, I was an offensive lineman. I was a, a left tackle in high school, uh, never started on defense in high school, but, but played a decent amount, especially my senior year. Um, and, and coach Nehemiah recruit, recruited both Cole and I back when, when Nehemiah was recruiting the entire West coast, uh, and Hawaii. Nice. So, um, he still, Every time brings up, he, he had dinner at my place and my dad cooked him cashew chicken, made some Chinese food. And he still, still brings it up when, whenever I see him. So, um, nice. I'm trying to get him on 30. here too. So you need to, you need to poke him a little bit for me. That would, I, I think that would be great. <laughs> Definitely. Um, we'll see what happens. Maybe let a little more dust settle a uh, little, little time. True. Um, but he'll, yeah. I think he'll come around. Nice. Um, yeah, plebe summer. I, you know, I, 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 he, he wanted me to be an Nemot wanted me to be an offensive lineman, and I said I wanted to play defense the whole way. I, I just did not want to try to bulk up to be a be a tackle or move into guard. Um, so stuck with defensive line. Um, you know, showed up when when plebes went to camp at probably one ninety nine, two hundred five, somewhere around there. And uh, they tried putting me outside linebacker and got smoked by Nick Wilson. And, um, you know, I, I remember the day that they, you know, posted who was going to stick around as a plebe during camp. And I was just, like really, really pissed that I didn't get 
selected to play um, and probably played a little bit with a, a chip on my shoulder at that time too, um, all throughout scout team. So um, I know there's a lot of good scout stories, but I think like taking pride as a scout player, uh, our plebe year, Dave, Rob, Tattersall, uh, um, pick, you know, um, and we had great, great GAs, uh, Joey Fay and Bryce McDonald that did a great job of, of dividing us into groups and giving us an identity. So the, the two scout teams that we had, one were, one were the Sopranos and one were the Gambinos, the scout team player of the week got this, got a sweet baseball bat, uh, that had, you know, Gambinos and, and Sopranos on the, they had it like, you know, laser engraved. So it's something that we took pride in and, um, uh, like I, you know, I've heard the stories on here before of like the O-linemen hating us and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm sure they did at the time. Um, I do remember one time Josh, Josh Gooden, who was in Oh, four grad. It was on Thursday before a game, you know, middle of the season. And he cut us in shell. He cut me in shells. You know, uh, I wasn't even wearing knee braces and I was so pissed at him. And he was just laughing the whole time. And to this day, whenever Is I that see one him, of your surgeries, not one of my, I had one of my surgeries in high okay. school and then one of them out of, out of the Navy on my right knee. But yeah, that's probably why I was pretty pissed at him. But he, we still laugh about it to this day, and he apologizes every time. And, uh, it, you know, pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, we yes. tried as hard as we could to give those guys hell and tee off on Echol uh, when I could, um, usually. Um, I was on the losing end of that for a little while, at least until we got into spring ball. Um, but it was a good time. And Craig Candido, they used to bring me over to, to, to run the mesh to see, you know, to have him on his reads. And I would, I had his number all the time because he would read my eyes. Nice. And so I would be looking down the line and step right up into him and he, he never got it. So um, those are my, my scouting <laughs> well, days. In, in both of those situations, you made them both better, even though you think that, you know, Echo may have ran you over every single time and Candido, like that's, that's what makes teams really good is when you can do that and, you know, each other up so that's awesome definitely a, a solid theme of, of the guys that you've talked to of, of, of building that bond with with our teammates you know on on who was starting with us um you know a couple years down the line you know dave was dave and tid were playing playing up from from day one but uh for the rest of us it took us a little time to get there scout team you know meant a lot. It's where we learned to play the cut, learned to play the option, and then gave us a chance in spring ball. Yeah, no doubt. Awesome. All right, so that's that's some of the, the football stuff. Anything else there before we get into your Navy days? Or uh, Yeah, let's see. The rest of the football stuff, we had a good run. Um, and I I really think that 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 04 class, I think they were 2-10 and 10 the year before they got there, and they crushed Army. And I remember, I think it was an aunt of mine was like, oh, Navy, you're going to Navy, you know, 2-10 two and, two and 10 or something like that. Like, they're not very good. And I was like, I 
it felt different on my recruiting trip. It felt like people gave a shit and um, nice. they really, it was a, I credit that, that 04 class and that 05 class that really turned it on the next year. You know, we, we had a really good run there and, and um, I think we, that was a 10, 10 win season. Um, great season, probably the best one that, that we were there. And um, those guys, I, you know, we were following what they had laid down and hopefully we, we passed that on to the guys behind us. Um, and, and it was a, between PJ and Nehemiah, obviously, um, historic run in Navy's, Navy's history. Yeah, I can guarantee you that you pass it down. Uh, real quick, between, so you had a couple offers out of high school. One was Navy. The other one was Air Force. Why didn't you go to Air Force? Um, I, so, yeah, so I think I think Horn said this too. Is is like my whole goal when I was growing up was to not pay for college, right? Whether that was athletics or or sports. And for a lot of us, you know, Navy was right down the middle, right? Like good enough grades, not not a knucklehead enough. We were able to get in naps or, or going somewhere else first. Um, and then we're able to play D1 football. So that's where I, where I wanted to be. I wasn't, wasn't good enough to get, you know, the scholarships the other guys I was playing with got in high school. Um, and, you know, Nehemiah showed up and he, you know, spent time at Cole, with Cole's family and had dinner with my family. And, um, you know, Cole got a concussion, our, our, the, the championship game, our senior year. And I was like, all right, man, you want to go to Navy? I'll, let's do it. And uh, Nehemiah was around. And I think the last eligible weekend, Nehemiah called me and got me a trip. I had planned on going to USD, University of San Diego, where I would have had to pay. Yeah. Even back then, 30 grand a year. Um, I think Harbaugh had just joined or jo- maybe joined the, the year after. Um, so, but still, it was a USD and I would have been in 120 grand in debt afterwards. So, um, I think the Air Force coach just called me right before signing day and said, "Hey, are we gonna do this?" It's like, uh, nah. So, nah. Coach's investment, got it. I think that's what pulled you in, right? Like the Nehemiah, yeah. Um, awesome, cool. All right, I'm sorry I interrupted you again, but I had to ask that question. Um. See where we're at. After committing, went to Navy, did the Navy stuff, and then now um, go through the academy. What happens next? Become a swell. Yeah, became a swell. So at least 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 common denominator there. I, you know, I like I said, I, I when I showed up in figured out what the military actually was. It was not, not something that I wanted to do long-term. I was happy to be there and, um, you know, I, you know, never had any regrets about going there, uh, but I knew it wasn't going to be a lifetime thing for me. So I was figuring out, okay, you want to be a swell or you're going to be a swell, like what, what matters to you next? And actually the CMC, and I should have looked up his name, but, um, the C- command master chief at the Naval Academy was a Hawaiian dude. Uh, I think he was uh, Filipino, um, but definitely from Hawaii. And, you know, we had talked either at games or around and he's, 
and he's like, Hey, you want to be a swover? Like, what do you want to do? I said, oh, yeah, I want to get out as fast as I can. And I want to have sort of the best quality of life while in the Navy as possible. And he was like, I got it for you. He pulled out one of his cruise books and showed me uh, what the gym looked like on an LHD or an LHA, um, you know, a big deck amphib carrying, you know, used to carry, carry Harriers, all the Marine aircraft, the Muse. Um, and uh, he's like, that's the gym on a, uh, on an LHD. And I said, all right, I want to, I want to go amphib Navy. And then, you know, I was a block zero, my plebe year. I went out to San Diego. Uh, it was another story with uh, Dave, Dave Wright, Matt Hall, Jimmy McMiniman, Dewan Price. We were all on the same ship. Uh, and we were on LH, LPD six, LPD six, the hard way, Duluth, USS Duluth. And, um, after that, like Dave's older brother was, was an Academy grad and was living in San Diego. And we had a blast there just drinking on the beach, playing wiffle ball. So everything that I did order of merit grades wise, anything that I could do to beg, borrow and steal and get my order of merit up. My goal was a, a big, big deck amphib out of, out of San Diego. And, um, it paid off. It was great. Nice. How was that job for you? When you get out there, you get to San Diego, you're on the ship, like how'd that, uh, first couple of years go? Yeah. So the Cole and I, you know, we spent our 30 days of basket leave. We report into to San Diego and our ship was already, already on deployment and they flew us out to Dubai on July 5th. And we met our ship out there and it was the hottest I've ever been. I think there was a heat index of like 130. It's just heat you never experienced before. Floated around the Gulf for four four months, um, picked up the Mew, went back to San Diego. Um, and then being on a ship that long, I, I realized that, hey, I I have to be in the Navy, but I don't have to be in a ship. So I worked pretty hard on um, LHD-6, Bonham Richard, rest in peace, unfortunately. Big, big fire. What happened with that? You say rest in peace, or big fire? Yeah, I think that was summer of twenty twenty. Uh, summer of twenty twenty was in the in like a modified yard, so it wasn't fully up in the yards. It was, but it was uh, everything was all the major systems were down, and uh, sailor I believe was acquitted on starting the fire, and they they couldn't find the actual start of the fire, but it it burned for a couple of weeks, um, and so that was our first ship, and this this happened in twenty twenty where it burned. Um, and they had to scrap the whole thing, uh, because it was a billion dollars in damages, what it took in on top of a billion dollar, um, ship period of like yard period that they were, they were going to do. And so they, they ended up scrapping it and still in, in touch with the captain of that ship, uh, captain John Funk. And it was a sad man. Um, yeah, it was sad for all the sailors that were on there that, that served on it and to see it go before you know, before it was supposed to. So yeah, definitely, a, definitely a bummer, but um, yeah, we uh, yeah. had a good time on that ship, but um, I knew I didn't want to do another one. So I ended up working pretty hard on that ship to get my, uh, my engineering officer of the watch qual so that I was able to go to a non-ship tour for my second tour, um, which was nice. much, much better. Cool. Um, 
So after your swo time, uh, you caught an augment with the army to Afghanistan. Yeah. So did my first for, first and second tour in San Diego. The second tour was expeditionary security. Um, and so what we did is we, you know, I had a, a detachment of guys, it was an OIC, and they did security for uh, USNS ships and um, U.S. assets that were didn't have organic secure, security. So that was a good tour, but I wanted to do one more deployment. And um, this is when IAs to Afghanistan were still pretty big. Um, you know, I never, never knew. I knew I was never going to be a Marine um, or, or do any of the, the hard stuff. But I did want to get sort of one more deployment under my belt. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, wanted to, to go to Afghanistan and at least see what it was like. Um, so I volunteered to go on a year-long IAA. Um, did tactical document and media exploitation, which is sounds cooler than it is. It was just, you know, uh, ripping or, you know, taking old Nokia cell phones, taking all the phone numbers off of them and then sort of building spider web networks of, okay, this is sort of a known or suspected terrorist number. Um, what sort of connections can we make, make across that? So a lot of ripping cell phones, a lot of, uh, you know, handling or working with the, the local nationals to get their cell phones, pull the numbers off, what, build reports. What part of Afghanistan reports. were you at? Remember? Um, all RC South, uh, mostly based out of Kandahar. Mm-hmm. I started in Spin Bulldeck and then was in Kandahar for a while. Uh, and then I spent most of the time in Fob Logman, which was uh, all of these were run run by the Army, didn't make it. I don't think anybody made it to RC Southwest with, with the Marines uh, of my detachment. Gotcha. And then, yeah. Um, spin bull deck was the, other I was, one. I was on the, or, IA, I was on the IA with the uh, Afghan army in 12. So that's what I was asking. So I was sitting at, was sitting at a desk. Yeah. Sitting at a desk for 12 hours and, and all surrounded by the army, but I got my own shoe cause nobody wanted to, uh, nobody wanted a room with the, the Navy guy. So, for eight, nine months, I had my own, my own room in Afghanistan. So it really was not bad. No, oh, I, I hear you. Mine was pretty easy too. So, but I had to ask. Cool. Um, and then from 12 to 13, EOD mobile, fast boats, mine clearance teams. What was that all about? Based out of Coronado, another just a right place, right time. Got orders EOD mobile unit one. Um, they were the very shallow water mine clearance mission. So if we were to ever, uh, go on another amphibious assault, uh, we would do over the horizon insertion of, um, EOD teams, dolphins and unmanned underwater vehicles for, for clearance of, um, I think below 25 feet, uh, up into the beach. So, you know, just had a, a, a great small data you know, 13 bosun mates and engineers, um, and just got to when you say drive fast through Coronado. Dol- yeah. When you say dolphins, what do you mean? We use dolphins to, um, so that's a real if, thing. If they, as long as they stuck. Yeah. As long as they actually stuck around, uh, and didn't just take off, they were the best at clearing mines, um, better than our, so is it like a kamikaze mine clearance? No, they they would go down and set markers, or I think they they would map the area first. And they'd do, 
I, I think this is a pretty pretty old old tactic. But map the area first, then suspected the the uh, dolphins would go down and and verify it, and then the divers would come in last. Well, that's to, cool. To like to hear you talk about it, it because yeah. like you can go on YouTube and look at it and be like, oh, that's that's cool. But is it real? It's real. That's cool. Yeah, it, crazy what they could do, but they were could be temperamental. Um, and sometimes when you you <laughs> let them out, they'll go do whatever they're going to do. That that kind of like humans do. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> awesome. All right. So you get out of the military after that. Uh, I, I don't want to take any words out of your mouth. Is there anything else on your uh, SWO career that you want to mention before we keep on moving? I think I had a, I feel like so many guys get screwed with deployments and all of that. Um, and, and I feel like I had the flip flip side of the coin, like I still work, still went on deployments, but um, I ended up with a, a, a pretty relatively easy and enjoyable naval career. So um, for all the guys that are bummed about being swells, it really wasn't that bad for me. Nice. Well, that was your goal from the, from the beginning, like, getting that merit out, out as and, fast right? as, so. out as fast as I could. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping the end in mind. Got it. All right. So you get out and then you transition. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit more about, you know, where do you go to after that? How you transitioned and the next job? Yeah. So, um, I, when I was a JO, I think probably still when I was an ensign, maybe as an, a JG, people started think, talking about like, hey, think about what you're doing next. And I knew I wanted to get out. So somebody referred me to Cameron Brooks or one of those like headhunting companies where they start working with you kind of early um, and say like, hey, here are the options available to you. We're going to work with you to polish you up and get you in a suit and teach you how to talk all these, these different things. And I realized pretty quickly working with Cameron books and, and nothing at all against them. I had for the most part, pretty good interactions, but I knew that I didn't want the jobs that were going to be available to me. If I had gotten straight out of the, um, straight out of the military and just go be a devo basically in civilian clothes. Um, so Rob Caldwell worked really hard. To, to he got into Columbia Business School first. He you know worked hard on the GMAT, did all his applications and networked and all that. And then when I got back from Afghanistan and I was working at the the um, the EOD team with the EOD teams, I had the time to study for the GMAT and apply. Um, and so I was able to get into Columbia Business School um, and went went there while still on terminal um, in August of 2013. And, you know, I talking about transitioning out of the military into civilian life is something that I still do regularly. Um, uh, I, I mentor anybody. I'll have a 30 minute conversation with anybody that wants to have it about tech, about business school, about getting into startups, about, you know, mental health and dealing with the things that that come with getting out of the military, even if, you know, you don't have, um, combat or anything sort of traumatic in my career, which I, which I did not. Um, so I talk about this a lot. 
And, um, you know, but I went to Columbia business school and I thought I was, thought I was set, you know, I thought like, Oh, okay, well I'm on a path. I'm, I'm good. And it was very quick, very quickly. I found out I, it was much harder figuring out what I wanted to do after the military than I thought, even with two years of two years of business school. Um, you know, again, the choice was choice to go to business school and work hard to do that is I, I, I didn't want those jobs that were available to me right away when I got out. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to get out of California. I thought I would go to California or go to New York and then, you know, set up shop and be, be in California from there out. Um, and I, you know, I wanted a break, like business school, grad school with, with um, being able to get GI Bill, uh, post 9-11 GI Bill was a surprise. So I wanted to take advantage of that and, and, you know, kind of slow down and, and transition um, into business. And I was a poli sci major, right? So I had taken one econ Same. class my entire life. And, uh, you know, I really needed the education um, to get into business. Um, and got my butt handed me in class, um, really for those first three semesters. And it was, it was tough. And I was dealing with, you know, like didn't know it at the time, but dealing with depression and then anxiety. Um, and I, and I, you know, I wouldn't have called it that at the time. Um, what made you realize that? I don't know. I, mean, I yeah, yeah. I like in, in business school, there is, there's kind of like a dance that you do where you go to these, again, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so you kind of start high and right with, with the people that recruit on campus as early as possible. And those are the management consultants in finance. I knew I didn't want to do finance. So I said, Hey, everybody else does consultants or, you know, does recruiting for consultants. Might as well do that. I would go to these meetings and I would shake the bare minimum of hands and meet the people that I was supposed to meet. And then I would, I would leave just like, oh, I don't need to be here. And I would justify it as like, well, um, that's what consultants do in my perspective, <laughs> network, <laughs> talk to people. Uh, yeah. Well, no, like, yeah. so yeah. when I think of consultants and you know, with what I do when the consultant comes in, it's like, all right, the company's looking for really quick cost savings. They go in, they look at the data, and then they're like, "Here, chop the data up. Here's your cost savings. Go ahead and you know, for for the lower guys, execute this." And you look at it, and you're like, "Serious? Are you <laughs> in it?" Or so that that's that's my take on that. So it's like, okay, that's why a lot of consulting companies grab the, you know you know, hot talent right off the market, look at the data, chop it up, Pareto it out. So anyways. I would say that they present solutions to a lot of hard problems. And those solutions oftentimes make sense on paper, but organizational change is, is very, very hard to execute, right? And that's the part that most consultants, unless they yep. were operators beforehand, worked at a company beforehand yes. that don't, you know, that's not what they're, they're getting paid to to put the deck together, right? Um, and uh, they are f smart and handle like can maybe present some really great solutions that make sense, 
but ultimately like the management team of that company needs to be able to execute or have some external help executing. And I think that's where uh, a lot of the times consultants get the bad rap that the solution um, they present wasn't actually feasible based on the operations of the company. But, you know, yeah. I never worked in as a consultant because I, I honestly was not good at the interviewing process and the case studies uh, that came along with that in the, the interviewing process. And I'm still not a, a great interview unless I've had a ton of practice. Um, but it was a valuable exercise to go through the recruiting process in business school of the management consulting because you learn a whole bunch of things about business frameworks and, and business speak that make a lot of sense and are super helpful. And it really yeah. brought all of business school together for me. Um, but certainly wasn't a yeah, career that I would have been fit fit for. Not trying to take anything away from that with the jargon and like all the good things you can learn from that. But at the same time, I just want to grab that tie in while I could. So I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. Execution is the hardest part. Yes. Yeah. Um, but like just to, to, to get back to. One thing that I think is that I've distilled this down or one of the reasons that I, I felt anxious or depressed at that point is, um, you know, my entire life and probably your entire life too, uh, at least some part of my self-worth was tied to my physical prowess, right? Like being an imposing figure, yeah, walking sure. into the room, being good at sports growing up. Um, yeah, being the best, uh, right? You know, yeah, being in the military, like military bearing is absolutely part of being a good officer and it's looking good in your uniform and it's i can run faster jump higher even though it was a slow i could you know i could beat you up i'm stronger faster all of these things and i tied that to my self-worth and then you know i was happy to be wearing jeans and t-shirts and not wearing a uniform but um all of a sudden figuring out who i am even though i was i thought i was set you know, I thought like, Hey, I am done with the military, but 10 years of wearing a uniform every day. Um, again, no combat, no sort of trauma going through my career, nothing, nothing bad, but really feeling sort of institutionalized, um, and not knowing what that felt feeling felt like. And then not knowing how to talk to people in, in, in jargon, in business speak and not knowing what, like, I knew what an accountant was. I didn't know what they did. Uh, so the folks that I really connected with and that I still, for the most part, stay in, the only folks I stay in touch with are, are vets from business school because those are the only people that, that I could connect with, right? And that um, I felt yes. comfortable talking to. Um, I really felt, felt pretty isolated during business school. Gotcha. Was there like a, something that broke you out of that or, you know? When you dig down deep, like, okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel for this. Anything there? I think that – so I was able to, to, to pull it together, and another vet actually helped me prepare for an interview for Apple for my internship between my first and second year of business school. Um, Who was that? A guy named Sean. Uh, he, was, he wasn't a football player. He um, – God, I forget his last name. Holman, I think. I think he was an 01 guy, an Intel guy um, at Columbia. And he went to Apple as well, but he took a different job. And he, he sort of 
prepared me for an interview with this other guy and knocked that interview out of the park and got an internship at Apple. Um, and so I interned there in between my first and second year. So there was definitely some validation that came with getting that internship and working at Apple, but it was in global supply chain. And I like, I hated it and had, had <laughs> stuck in between two managers. I, my, I don't want to take you away from the values that your mentor had, but I was really interested in the global supply chain problems that you ran into. You know, at the time is when they were shipping, you know, shipping earbuds with each each cell phone, right? And so it was tracking down Chinese suppliers. And if they could get something like a 2% discount on one kilometer of, of earbud wire, it would save, save Apple something like 5 million a year, something crazy, right? Of, that was the scale that they sure. were working at. And that's why they, they actually take a lot of vets into uh, Apple's like engineering operations, their plants and global supply chain. Uh, Matt McLaughlin was there when I was when I was an intern. He's an O five O lineman. Uh, so caught up with him recently at, at, at Tid's funeral, which was great. Um, uh, but um, you know, I like I did not want to be in that type of environment where you like you are just chasing down numbers on a spreadsheet and and suppliers are trying to hide costs and you're trying to dig them out and, and it just was not a uh, enjoyable experience and I did not get, get an offer at the end. So it was, that kind of crushed me as well. Um, but it helped me. But may have been a I blessing was. in disguise, right? Yeah. Absolutely was. 100%. Absolutely was. And that I, I learned that I wanted to be back home in the Bay area. Um, I wanted to be in tech and I didn't want to be at a big company, right? Like I wanted to be at a startup. I wanted to be in an early stage startup. And so I, like I, I love Apple, you know, have all the products and I don't knock them as an employer at all. I just, it wasn't, wasn't a good fit for me. And that, that role certainly wasn't a fit for me. Um, so yeah, I, awesome. uh, um, I, I sort of so made it my the, mission to, to, to find a startup coming out of business school. Yeah. Can't wait to get into that. Uh, cause I'm all in on that. Um, mentorship, the, um, the guy that you found as a good mentor, like what did he tell you? How did he steer that rudder for you in that instance? Um, at my, my buddy, Sean, he, he, like, honestly, he just, he yeah. was a few years older and um, uh, yeah, I think he was an one guy. So, you know, quite six years older um, and just had a better, I had no business sense. I barely knew what I was talking about. Um, and he just sort of, I, I was copying what he was doing. Sort of, I was like copying the, what, what, what Rob was doing to, to get into business school, to get into Columbia. Um, so I found folks like that, that I still check in with, um, to this day, um, just to see how their careers are going and for them to realize like, Hey, I followed this person once, or they gave me some good advice. Like, let me go check in and see what they're doing now. Also let them know what I'm doing. Like I, of the folks that I mentor, um, it, you know, it's valuable when they follow up with me and say, Hey, I got this new job or you said this back then. And that's helped me get to where I am today. Um, so I try to check in with, you know, Sean and, and all sorts of folks, um, that have helped me along the way 
as I, you know, make different career decisions. Cool. All right. Um, so what's the next step? You get into, we talk business school, you get into tech. What was your biggest learning curve when you get into big tech? Um, you know, nobody, I would, so when I graduated from business school, I graduated without, without a job and there's not a, especially at Columbia, not many people did that at the time. Usually people have their jobs lined up, uh, months in advance, possibly, you know, the summer beforehand. Um, so, you know, I knew I wanted to be a startup. I actually co-founded a clothing company with a buddy from business school while we were at business school. Um, that, that was a great learning experience for me to understand what went into a business, what went into actually creating a physical product, um, you know, sort of understanding what a balance sheet would like, would look like budgeting, uh, marketing, telling a story about your product, launching something um, that really brought business school together for me and, and, and said like, all right, you're taking all your learning and applying it. So I think that was a big, big help for me as far as, getting my hands dirty and not just being in a classroom with, with finance or accounting or marketing strategy. Um, so as I was recruiting my second semester, senior year, trying to get out uh, and, and get out to a startup, uh, one of the guys from Apple um, actually had moved over to Tesla and wanted me to come work for him in, in global su supply chain at Tesla. Um, and he, he made me a really good offer that Rob Caldwell actually told me that I should take. Um, and that I, I turned down just cause I knew that I, at that point, I, I knew that I hated it and I wanted to be at a startup. So I moved back home. Yeah. I was lucky enough. Following your red threads. Uh, I brought up red threads yeah. a few times. Um, yeah, go for what you're passionate about, right? Not the money. Yeah. Um, and, and it was like, there is certainly value in, in going and working in, within an organization that is doing things the right way and, and learning how a high performing organization works. Um, but I just, I really knew that supply chain was not going to be what I, what I enjoyed. Um, so fast forward, it took me about four months to, to find a job, five months. Um, it was like connecting with people on angel list and LinkedIn and having coffee with people. And eventually I found somebody that was like, Hey, I don't have a job for you, but I'll have coffee with you. Sat down. We knew a couple of the same people. Supposed to sit down for a half hour, you know, talk for 45 minutes. He's like, all right, I still, I don't have a job for you, but send me your resume and I'll forward it on to, uh, um, he was part of an accelerator called uh, 500 Startups in the Bay Area that, you know, helps, helps startups grow. He sends it out to a bunch of CEOs and in, 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 uh, different companies in the Bay Area. Um, and, uh, the CEO of UpGuard, um, at that time was called script rock, uh, but you know, it was UpGuard said, Hey, like your resume, um, why don't you come down and have lunch with us? Uh, threw me a book about DevOps and IT process management. Um, he said, all right, read this, uh, come back on Tuesday and give her a presentation about what you learned. Did that. Um, and at that point, they didn't have much information about their company. So all I knew was it was an IT DevOps-like company. They were looking for a marketing manager and, you know, they were willing to work with me. 
So give the presentation, uh, do a decent job of identifying the different personas of people that, you know, we would want to sell to. And he, he asked me, you know, if you were going to say, what is UpGuard's value prop, what would it be? And I thought about it and I did not have a good answer. And I told him that I would, you know, I'd find out and I'd get back to him, you know, report back. And um, that's when he decided to give me the job, right? That, that I said, like, I, instead of trying to bullshit him, I said, I'll find out and I'll report back. And, um, and that's what got me sure the job, well. my first job at a startup. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Uh, it all comes at, back, man. <laughs> For sure. Five basic responses. What was your transition like? I don't, I, 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 I listened to some of the early ones. I'm not sure how much, how much you got in, into your transition and, and first working and how you felt. My transition. So like when I knew I was getting out, I did a two for, or two for one type of deal. The Marine Corps was downsizing and they said, Hey, you can do get out one year early, do two years reserve. All right. Got it. I did that and I got into the oil field. I know like one of my childhood buddies is a super millionaire. Uh, him and his dad run an oil company. I got into that and I was a pumper for them. I took care of some of their wells. I did that for a year and a half. And I was like, all right, this is going to be good. Like I'm learning the trade. It's going to be lucrative. And then on New Year's Eve, 2000, I think, 14 um they told me today's your last day and that's when i reached out to all the recruiters and tried to find a job and i found one with what i'm currently doing and i got into that um and my original interview was for a production supervisor and after my first interview uh, i already had a different job lined up as a production supervisor for better pay. And I did the interview and I didn't care in the interview. I was myself. I was authentic. I was like, this is me. And then I got a call back. It's like, how about one level up about a production manager job in this role? And I got into it and I hated it. Oh man. I hated it for like the first six months. It was like the worst, like, it was just like constant, bam, 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 bam. Um, and that's the way manufacturing is. It's just like every day, hey, these are your biggest issues. What are you doing about it? And then after about the six-month mark, things started working. Things started clicking. Um, and after that, I was like, okay, I can do this, right? So I did that down there in Texas for about three years. And then the plant manager that had hired me in originally grew his scope up to Louisville and said, Hey, I got a plant. You want to be the plant manager here? I was like, sure. And now it's kind of like tapered off and plateaued. And a lot of my frustrations nowadays is with the global supply chain and you know what I'm dealing with. And it's like, it's all people, it's all relationships, but the, the way that the companies nowadays are working there's like global it call india get your it ticket in all that kind of stuff there's a lot of frustration and challenges with that um 
But at the same time, I think, and I, and the reason why I stay here is my word means something. I just have to save my silver bullets for the right time. And, and that's what I'm working through right now. Cause like right now we're producing like super fast, but the receiving end can't keep up yet. It's all right, guys. I've been there. Like I understand. And uh, I'm trying to balance that at the same time. So, sure. Anyways, um, that, so in a yeah, nutshell, that, like, yeah. Uh, so I understand certainly being loyal, particularly to somebody that gave you, gave you a shot. Um, you know, when I was in, when I started at UpGuard, I was employee number 12 and we shot up to 130 people. I think within uh, within the first year of me being there, right? Um, and then we had, you know, sales were not keeping up with our head head count, and actually they started receding. Um, and uh, you know, I was almost almost laid off, almost laid off there. Um, and then they were able to say, "Hey, you were working on some medium to long term projects, and we don't know if we're going to be a company. Um, we have to cut you down to half time." And I was like, oh, shit, like, all right, time to go. Um, started looking for jobs. Yeah. Um, and then they eventually uh, said, hey, if you want to move back to New York two years in um, and learn enterprise software sales, uh, you can we can go and give that a shot. Um, and that's sort of picking up with my story. But to get get back to it is like, hey, like, you know, Tony, who are you talking to now? Who are your mentors? Who do you keep in touch with that says that that you can bounce things off of and say, "Hey, now's now's the time to use that silver bullet," or is helping you identify or navigate the situation that you're in and say, "Like, hey, man, like if receiving never picks up, and then demand of receiving um, isn't there, you could be producing." better than anybody else but if there's no customers on on the other side or you can't can't get that product out there like then you become expendable right um so who's who's helping yeah. you navigate Glad that? gladly i reach out to my former boss um the guy that brought me into irving texas uh i he actually uh exited the company around october 2 years ago year and a half ago. And um, so I always bounce ideas off the guy because he knew the business. Like he was the guy, right? So anytime I'm going through something like that, I'll be like, hey, what do you think about this? And he's like, you know, that's, you know, good luck or, you know, call it out here and there. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. So, um, you know, he, he was the one that uh, supported me through through the entire journey so far. So who am I going to lean back on? I'm going to lean back on that guy and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Because he spent like, I don't know, 30 plus years, started as a forklift driver in the warehouse in one of our factories, uh, became a you know line supervisor to manager to plant manager in two different locations, uh, became the VP of operations. So you got to fall back on the experience and, you know, someone with a, a look at it from two or three different angles 
that's not going to give you, and, and I think Evan Beard summed it up well, and I think that's why, um, uh, it is the reason why I got where I'm at today is someone that can be brutally honest with you when it matters. So. Yeah. And it doesn't have, doesn't have a, like necessarily have a dog in the fight and, and that you like, yeah, other than they the game right now. Succeed, yeah. Other than they want to see you succeed. Right. So. I, you know, if, if you and I were talking sure. and we're not, I'm just like kind of throwing this, doing my best to throw this back into a, a conversation. But if, if we were talking and it sounds like you, you, you like, um, uh, is it, I want to say Dr. Pepper or, or something. Don't, don't name it. Don't name it. Oh, all right. Manufacturing. So manufacturing. So, um, like, uh, have you been able to reach out to other folks that are in a similar or adjacent industry. Um, and you know, what I always do on LinkedIn is I, if I am targeting a company or I am say like, I want this title, um, whether it's the company you're currently in or possibly elsewhere, you know, learn how to use LinkedIn. Like, have you, and then like it, you know, let's say you're looking at a new company and you, you think, Hey, you'd be a great fit for this role. You're applying to this job or you're getting ready to apply. I always go look at the company, look at the, and I look at current employees, mark that as current employees. And then I go, all right, I'll start with past company, U.S. Navy, U.S. Marine Corps, U.S. Army, Air Force. And then if you have a whole bunch of those hits, then I go back and say, all right, let me narrow it down. Is there anybody that went to the academy um, that, you know, that was a past employee or a current employee, Um, you know, and I would say that. Of the folks that I've, I've I've reached out to on LinkedIn to find out more about a company, um, and do my research before applying there or applying to a role, I would say ninety nine. I have like a a ninety nine percent hit rate of of certainly folks that have went to the Naval Academy and maybe across all academies maybe ninety five percent, and then military, you know maybe like ninety percent of of like hey. I got nothing on the line, but I would love to hear more about your role, more about the company, more about the path. Um, and, and that is like getting back to one of the things I think that Cole was sort of getting at of me staying in touch with people and being willing to reach out. And, and you know, it's called networking. And, and like, I, you know, I meant that as a joke, but like when for, somebody first told me that like, oh, you should be out networking, I laughed, you know, still in the military. I was like, I thought it was a joke because I thought it was a like a you know, we see it on sitcoms or, or whatever. It was a joke of a, uh, a comment net, networking, right? You don't do any networking in the military really. Um, but you know, talking to people, being interested in the work that they do, you asked like, how did I get over that hump and that anxiety of not knowing what I wanted to do? And it was like talking to people, right? Like figuring out, Hey, I want to be where that yeah. person is. That sounds cool. That sounds like that's a cool company. Um, they're working in tech or they're, they're working out of San Francisco or they're working on a cool, um, cool project and cool technology. Like networking is being like having the, the fortitude to, to reach out to them cold or to get a warm intro from somebody and say like, Hey man, you, what you're doing sounds really cool to me. Like I just want to learn more about it. And I think that's what I'm, 
I do pretty well is like, I can be interested in anybody for two beers, right? Like even the most boring person with the most boring job, like, Oh, that sounds boring. I want to know how boring it is. And then I can ask questions for 20 minutes and figure out like, yeah, that really is boring. Or we can pull a thread. that's like, actually, no, that is, that is something that I want to do. And, you know, in networking, the whole goal is to get another call, right? Whether it's with that person because you want to learn more from them or if it's with uh, with somebody new, hopefully get a, a warm intro to somebody that actually is doing something more interesting to you. Um, and that's what I, when I mentor yeah. vets or, yeah. or folks coming out, um, a lot of what I talk about is like, hey, play to somebody's ego, talk to them. And, and I, you know about that, right? Like you're reaching out to us, trying to get us on the podcast and to talk about ourselves. It's, you know, plays to my ego and I was happy to do it, right? Awesome. Now, definitely one of the goals out of this is is, is that exactly. Um, but let's jump to an article that you wrote on LinkedIn called uh, Help Me Help You, Seven Tips to Help Transitioning Vets Make the Most of the Conversation. Of those seven tips, here they go. One is the goal of any discovery call is another call. You just hit that, I think. Right? Yeah, I you know, if you're networking, unless you hit a, a t- complete dead end, you know, the goal is to like, hey, is there one more person that I could talk to? Is there is there somebody else? Be comfortable with asking somebody for a referral. Yeah, for sure. Next one. <clears throat> In the first half of the call, learn as much as you can about the other person, much as possible. Next one. Know what you want to accomplish, you know, aside, you know, from the goal, um, what's your ultimate goal of, you know, school, getting a job, connecting to someone else, getting the right person. It's okay to ask um, questions. You might be able to connect. Next, have a concise, memorable elevator pitch. Make it quick, make it concise, get to the point. Know your bullet points. A little research with the other person can go a long way. 100% agree. Generic questions are good. Like, what'd you have for lunch today? What'd you learn today? Um, relax, right? Get in a comfortable space. Um, you know, part of that imposter syndrome you spoke about is like, Okay, I'm used to being the best. Might not be the best on this. It's okay. You don't have to be the best, right? So get comfortable, relax, learn, and on we grow. So this is a good article. I, you know, it's it's something that I point folks to. Um, I would say that a, a good portion of the amount of, of folks that reach out to me on LinkedIn, I've been lucky enough to do some some speaking engagements where people reach out to me afterwards and say like, Hey, you, you know, your story or your path resonated with me and I would love to talk to you. And uh, most people um, have different por- parts of that. And that's why I wrote the article. Cause I, I do in- enjoy talking to vets because, because of imposter syndrome that like, as soon as I got into business school, um, I was willing to talk to anybody about it. But when I got out into the real world, I felt like not only was I not, you know, I, 
when I got into the world, I felt like an expert in zero, right? The only thing that I felt like I had the authority or the expertise to talk about was transitioning, how hard for how hard it was for me, um, you know, um, mentally, um, how hard it was to get into tech and trying to transition and, and say, like, here's what I did in the military. Here's how it, it, it translates to tech or whatever field that you're that you want to get into. Um, and so, you know, like that's how I worked through a lot of my imposter syndrome. And, and it, be, it gave me something to be an expert at is talking about my experience and trying to connect the dots for other folks. Um, and, and that's why I wrote that article. And every once in a while, I need to have, you know, have a, a, a little bit of a come to Jesus moment with somebody that shows up uh, thinking that they are hot shit uh, and that just because they um, just because they were in the military that they should like, you know, their first question is, how do I get a job? I want to do, you know, how do I get a job? Can you get me a job here? It's like, all right, man, hold on. Let me be honest with you and how hard it, how long it took to get where I am. Here are the steps that you need to take. You may be able to short circuit and get there a lot faster than me, but certainly not the way to approach it. And I try to push them to this article and say like, hey, this is how you should run a networking call because it's not something we were taught because um, we never had to job hunt at the Naval Academy, right? Never had to really job hunt in the military. They TAPS class, uh, you know, before you separate isn't enough to, to grab, grab to that. So it's something that I, I still point people to and hopefully people still value find value from for sure all good stuff um so what are you doing today uh i work at google and i work for a small um small part of google called google for startups and um you know we take all the resources of google uh and our mission is to help founders from underrepresented backgrounds either start uh, grow or build their business. Um, and that's across the world, right? So there are uh, underrepresented startup founders all over the US, you know, um, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, but in different parts of the world, underrepresented means different things. Um, you know, in APAC, uh, you know, for the most part, it's, you know, it's women. So it's, it's, it's a, a mission that transfers across the world and um, something that I can wake up and feel good about the work that I'm doing every day, trying to help, help, you know, young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs older than me get their business up and going and, and use the, the might and resources of Google to get there. So it's, it's been a rewarding experience so far. Is there an example or two you can maybe share on how that works? Uh, sure. So in the U S proprietary line, yeah, none, none of it's none of it's proprietary. It, it is is it's like making a lot of connections through a Google. So I I run one of the programs I run is the mentorship program. Um, so we run programs in ten different locals where we have like local teams that you know let's say um, they want put on like a a growth academy. So startups that are already have a product are already selling it a little bit, but they're trying to sort of pour gas on the fire and make sure that, you know, they can, um, they can grow their business. So luckily what I do is I go find mentors, Google, all Googlers, and I recruit them and say like, Hey, we have this person that 
is in the cybersecurity space and they are looking to enter the, the European market or they're looking to ex- expand uh, their product line or, um, you know, they're having troubling, having trouble figuring out their, their sales incentive structure, right? So any sort of like small business problem, we have close to 200,000 Googlers within, within the company. Um, a lot of which have worked at startups, started their own companies, have run into these problems before. So it is really rewarding to be able to connect, you know, a founder, um, you know, like I uh, sort of dog fooded my own program and, and I'm a mentor uh, in what we have the Ukraine support fund. So last year when the war broke out, Google committed, um, committed, I think uh, like a, a million dollars. I think we gave a hundred thousand to, uh, um, you know, uh, probably more. I must more give fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to these year, uh, Ukrainian startups, um, and then on top of that money, um, as as a grant, you know, connect them with founders. And I had a woman who uh, had a, a teaching platform and tutoring platform all throughout Europe, and was able to connect her with uh, some Ukrainian schools in New York. And uh, to to try to get her product uh, expanded outside of Eastern Europe. So those are the types of things that the program that I built, but also, you know, some of the the startups that I mentor as well. Gotcha. When you say startup, go to market, what do you mean? Is that what you mean right there? Like when you're working on startup advising, going to market, what does go to market mean? Yeah. Uh, it's like you have it right. You have an idea of a product or you do have a product and maybe you have a couple of, you have some sales or you have some customers already, but like, how do you bring it to the market so that the market understands your, yeah. And how do you, how do you like, it's more than just putting it out there because not everything can be bought on a website, right? Not everything can be bought in a store. So what's your distribution strategy? Are you going to, sell it directly to the consumer? Or are you going to try to sell it to, um, to resellers or are you going to try to go directly to, to Walmart? Um, you know, what is the, the, the plan to take this product, have it packaged, have the value proposition, have the marketing, have the sales force, have the external partners that are going to help you bring your customer, your, your product to your ideal customer. Um, so there's a, you know, a million different ways you can do that with a million different products, lots of different ways to cut it. And, um, again, part of being a mentor is just being a sounding board for saying like, Hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about, you know, going directly to Ukrainian schools in the, in the U S and seeing if, you know, you can connect that way, um, to help, you know, uh, create more customers or, uh, um, you know, get in front of people that could then, um, create a larger customer base. All right. Last uh, little extra comment on, you know, tech. You saw uh, your startup go from 12 people to 130 down to 30. The downscale of labor in tech companies. What's the driver there? Just got real big all of a sudden. Like, what are you seeing on your end? Yeah, I- I think it's pretty healthy, right? That, you know, um, interest being interest rates being so low for so long allowed these big tech, big tech companies to, 
continue to hang on to a whole lot of people um, and provide compensation compensation packages that a lot of other companies weren't able to compete with. So while tech companies um, or tech employees, there's there's a lot of it in the media these days. Like if I had gotten laid off, I'd go with it you know, hey, that makes sense, right? Like not on an individual level, but in, in the aggregate, right? It, it, it can be very hard to lose a job and I don't want to downplay any of that. But I, I think in the aggregate that like all those people, I, I think there's been a couple of Indeed reports, Indeed.com reports that came out that like of tech, com- of tech employees that got laid off, um, you know, I think 80% of them found a new job within 90 days uh, if they were looking right. Right. So, um, now every company has, every company is a tech company, right? They may not, they may be a bank, but they have, uh, a whole lot of underlying tech that, 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 um, needs tech workers. So I actually think hopefully in the long run, we'll see that it's a good thing for the, for the economy and that, um, some of this talent that is familiar with tech, you know, can, can be, swooped up by a lot of other companies that have the need and that you know i think cybersecurity is going to happen you know outsourcing coming back to america um yeah for sure awesome anything else on the career before i jump into my last final questions um uh, career-wise it, like it all starts with talking to people, right? Like I, I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to be where this person is. So I would go and talk to them and figure out how did they get there? Right. And I am not a great reader, right? I'm good at research, but like, I, I need to talk to somebody to help vector me and narrow down and, and bring an idea to somebody and say like, Hey, I think that because I'm good at X, Y, and Z that this job would be good. And if this person's already in this job and they go, actually, you don't need X, Y, and Z, you need A, B, and C, right? And then, so having those conversations and networking and talking to people allows me to form my ideas, to go back and then do the research, to then do the reading. But like, if I start in a, you know, in a vacuum by myself, I just won't get very far. So everywhere in the places that I've ended up, um, it's because I followed somebody else, right. Or I followed the path or, you know, followed an, an outline that they had to get where they are. Um, and, uh, like I continue to do that and say like, Hey, you know, this person's where I want to go. How did they get there? Gotcha. Nice. Um, how about currently a personal struggle? or opportunity that you're working through today? What are you working through? What's your biggest opportunity? Figuring out what's next, man. Um, uh, I've been at Google for almost four years. And um, I wanted to come to Google because I had been at a startup that was small and I wanted to see a small company grow and see what was fast. And I'm very thankful for that. But when I was done with it, I wanted to see like, hey, Let's go see what ex- excellence looks like, right? Let's go see what what a a high performing company and a bunch of high performers look like in a corporate setting. Um, and I've been able to do that at Google and take a lot. And then also, you know, it is a two hundred thousand person company, so now it's this 
you know, bureaucracy, it's not like the Navy, but it's, you know, it's pretty damn close. It moves very slowly, right? Internally, just the, the, the way that you need to run a, a, a gigantic company like this, like it just moves slowly. So I think I'm ready for, um, to get back to a startup. So it's a matter of finding the right opportunity and then finding the right team, right? I think that's, uh, as you get older, um, and I, I have some some nice bullets on my resume. I, I'm not really doing it for that anymore. Any check marks? Um, what I'm I, I want to go work with the right people um, so that I enjoy the stuff that I that I do because it's you know it's all work. Nice, hundred percent. All right. What is your price of admission? I just told it to you, man. I knew it was coming. It's all work. Um, like, <laughs> and, and so if you're lucky, uh, that work is enjoyable. If, if you're with the right people, um, the weight room getting crushed, uh, you know, fourth quarters, all of that was, was work. And it's the people that made it worthwhile and the mission. Um, so whether it's relationships or your career or, um, whatever else is, is, you know, work and discipline. It's all, it's all work. So if you accept that fact, you know, how, if, you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you're watching it, you know how to work, right? So find the work that matters to you and that, you know, is going to be worth it. Nice. Good. Last one. What did you learn today? Man. Um, I need to need to tighten up my stories if I'm gonna be interviewing quick. I feel like uh, we, we're we're going on for a while, man. You let me talk. Uh, you you uh, hopefully for you're sure. gonna cut some of cut some of this out. Um, but uh, I will where I need to. You know, yeah, I like I enjoyed preparing it, preparing for it, and trying to to get the stories back. Um, you know, special place that we that we went to. Um, special people, you know, it's unfortunate that when we're able to all get together, um, in the future, it's going to probably be for, for sad reasons, uh, but to enjoy those, um, yeah. seeing all the, all the folks that came out, um, came out to, came out to Tid's funeral was, um, you know, uh, it's the stuff that, that is most important in life. And, um, being on this podcast and being able to talk to you and hopefully having people hear this, uh, you know, allows us to connect outside of, of those, those sad moments and, and try to make it to the reunions, everybody. Uh, I always have a blast, man. Um, seeing everybody and, and getting back together with, with folks. So yeah, man, uh, hopefully, hopefully if anybody wants to talk tech career, B school, hit me up. Let's let's shoot the shit. Awesome. It goes back to your memories. Um, the guy that was the best at keeping in touch with people. Thankful for doing this. Uh, from Cole, uh, a glue of your group. Uh, wear your heart on your sleeve, but you walk the walk. That's what I'm talking about, and that's the reason for this. So, good conversation. Dude, um, yeah, 
really good time. I think uh, a lot of people will like it. So appreciate your time tonight. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. As uh, Tony, thanks, thanks for doing this as always. And um, yeah, um, here we go. Yeah, dude. I, I, you know, on a personal level, I appreciate it. You putting things out there, like what, like uh, if you don't have, if you have a minute, you have a minute. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you know, why did why did you do this, and 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 what do you hope that it could be? Um, so when I started this, I was going through a lull, um, you know, I had a lot of, you know, problems with the way things were going. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to tap into my most precious resource. Um, a group of people that I want to hear from, want to be around people that think like me. And that's the reason, um, one, um, and as I started doing it, I was thinking, man, there are people out there like this. There are people that you know, want to cut through the cut through the butter of the bureaucracy, and that's my biggest struggle is trying to um, keep the wheels on the bus and play the game because I don't like playing the game. I just want to cut through the the butter. Um, I, I I really like creating things. You know, um, I like like your music call out. I like that because uh, I like creating music. Uh, I like to win, create relationships. Um, and I really got into podcast listening during that time. And I was like, I was listening to a few. I was like, I can do this. I got a decent yeah. network to start something. Um, so I started it and then just, just keeps on compounding with the lessons and the stories and um, the connection. So that's, that's the reason behind it. Um, if it helps benefit somebody, then, you know, that's a win. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I like doing it. That's great, man. I, you know, they, you know, like artists, they ask artists or people when they like, if they want to be an actor, they want to be a musician. Like, well, you know, what if you are an acting teacher in Spokane, Washington, um, in 15 years and you didn't make it in Hollywood. And it's like, well, I'd be okay with that because acting is what I love. Right. And it's like, Hey man, you are using this platform in an awesome way to, to learn, to connect with people, to shoot the shit. Right. And, and, um, if somebody, on the other side, which there are, um, are into it. That's, that's great. But Plenty I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're, you're, you're able to do this for yourself. And, uh, I know a lot of folks in, in, um, you know, I've enjoyed listening to the handful that I have and will be a listener going forward, man. So thank you. Good. Awesome. Any specific, uh, one that stands out to you so far? episode uh, yeah i mean yeah cameron marshall he's, uh, he was always a funny guy uh and and then you know um uh that is like a just such a crazy juxtaposition of where where he was coming from and then being dropped and in, dropped into navy football and then what he went back to right like that is um that's a great story that i think like that 
especially his classmates, but anybody that we played football with can be proud of and say like, that's what, you know, ultimately that's what we do it. Not for guys that are coming from, from Dale cell. Like that is who you want. None of us were going to play in the NFL, right? Like that's not why we went to go do that. Um, and he was, uh, yeah. was doing it before Navy football and did it afterwards. And I think, um, that's, that's what makes me, you know, proud to be a part of that and what everybody has done and, and done afterwards. And I plan on relying on them in the future and I'm glad that I can. Awesome. Good stuff. All right, buddy. I'll let you go. All right.